I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Routine podcast. My name is Dan Simpson. Now, this is the show where we investigate what makes creatives tick. I just realised, investigate's a pretty strong word. I mean, I'm sitting down interviewing them, asking them questions, not hiring a private investigator. Anyway, on the show, we're finding out how authors work, specifically how they manipulate their time to get maximum efficiency from their idea, really. Because it, it's worth remembering, loads of people write you right now. You might have an idea, you might have plots, you might have characters in your head that maybe at a push one day you might write a little book about. Now, we're finding out on the show what gives writers the motivation to get it down on paper and then the dedication to finally get it published. Very simply, we're discovering the diary of their day. Speaking of diaries, we've got another weird and wonderful routine from history with our distinguished diaries feature a little later. Today, it's about, well... When you imagine the romantic ideal of a writer, you know, booze-soaked nights in the jazz clubs of Paris in the 20s, penning the great novel, uh, you think of this guy, and we'll find out the way he worked a bit later. First, it's to our guest, who was tasked with bringing back Dennis the Menace. Stephen Butler is a polydoer. Is that a word? For a podcast about writing, I feel I should know more words. Anyway, Stephen Butler does a lot of stuff. He is an author, a playwright, a singer, an actor, a cook. I follow him on Twitter, right? And he lives the life that I imagine I lead, but I patently don't. You know those kind of people, don't you? You know, their social media presence always makes you think you should be more active and less slobbing about on the sofa than you really are. But you can't get annoyed with the guy. Stephen is a lovely chap too. I mean, he's a huge deal in kids' writing as well. If you've got kids, uh, they probably know who he is. He's been writing books for about seven years now, and his Rong Pong series uh, was nominated for the Roald Dahl Funny Prize, which then got him the esteemed and no doubt daunting task of writing adventures for Dennis the Menace and he invited me to his flat in North London where his dog was too so you might hear him panting and puffing away uh, where I was very interested in his writing routine specifically how it has changed from his first book to his last because he's had quite a lot published in just a short handful of years I think my 15th comes out this year, so I've, I've, I've got a few out there already. <laughs> so what I was thinking is, um, I thought we'd kind of look at both your first book yep. and how you, what you did with that, and then your most recent book. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess most recently then, 
describe to me the scene when you're sat down and you're writing your book. What what are you looking at? Well, I mean, I I work. I mean, it's very inauspicious circumstances. I've got a desk in my bedroom, so it's pretty much kind of roll out of bed in my pajamas. And I have a I have a rule now. This is very different. When I first started, I had no idea what I was doing, and I worked all over the place, and I was distracted. And there would be some days when I would do a couple of thousand words, and another day when I would do two. And and so I'm much stricter with myself now, and I set myself a really low target. So I do 500 words a day, um, which is not that much, but enough that it, it racks up quickly. And that's my minimum. So as long as I've done my 500 words, if I am distracted, I can go and do something else. But Or I can just keep going and I can do, you know, I, on a good day, I can do 5,000 words. But um, as long as I've got my 500 words, I'm all right. So it's like, And that means I get my books finished on time. <laughs> are you trying to make them good 500 words though? Or are you just, for want of a better phrase, you're just churning stuff out? I tend to, I'm, I pride myself in putting together a pretty a pretty good first draft. So I kind of edit as I go, I suppose, a bit. But the best bit of advice I was ever given, which was years ago when I wrote my first book, was just write a terrible first draft. Because if you, yeah, if you write a terrible first draft, you can make a terrible first draft into an amazing second draft. But one of the biggest problems is that there are so many writers out there that think it has to be pristine on the first go. So they never finish their first draft. There's all these unfinished books. So it's much better to have a finished, terrible first draft than an unfinished, pristine first draft that you never finish because it's, you know, it'll take you 10,000 years to get there. So I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a believer in editing. Get the first draft down and then make the second draft fabulous. So talk to me more about about, about your boring bedroom where, where, you're, where you're writing this. Are you writing it by hand? Are you writing it on a computer? What are we doing? Never by hand. Ever, never by hand. Um, I'm terrible. I've got the scruffiest handwriting ever and I'm really slow. <laughs> so uh, yeah, always I've got, I've got a, a desktop Mac and I sit there and tippy type away and I tend to do it kind of... I, I, weirdly, when I first started, I, used to, I always wrote at night. I would do have my day and then go to my desk about nine-ish and stay there till midnight and now I tend to pretty much get up and just make a coffee and go straight to my desk and just have it done and then you kind of get the whole of your day and you can relax going right I've made my you know I've, I've made my contribution to the book for the day I'm going to quickly read through your uh, your Twitter bio if, that, if that's okay sure. um, well not, not in detail but you are a busy man yeah, <laughs> so I'm a fidget. <laughs> so you're an actor you do voiceover stuff you're a playwright you're a singer and, and you're an author uh, talk me through your busiest day that you can remember when you still managed to cram in some writing. The busiest I've ever been was a couple of years ago. I was writing the second Dennis the Menace book and I was in a show. I was in a show, so I was performing every single day and there was a mistake with the commission and some there was a delay on it and I ended up, um, I ended up having to write a whole book in three weeks. When I would just, I'd go on stage, do a scene, run off, type a few more words. And that was insane. I was, I was, I made myself like ill <laughs> doing that. <laughs> but that's kind of normal for me. Like I've, I've written a lot of books in a lot of dressing rooms. Like particularly the Dennis books. There's six of those. A lot of those I wrote in my dressing room on iPads and laptops and yeah whatever I can kind of sometimes even on my iPhone in notes on your iPhone just typing away <laughs> so how do you compartmentalize it though if you've got so many different creative kind of things going on acting writing how do you possibly manage to to switch on the different types of your 
brain when you're coming off stage and you need to bash out another hundred words I think timetabling works, which is why I'm now like I get up and I go right. I'm going to write my morning. My morning brain is going to be writing, so I do that. And um and, but yeah, I think you just get used to. It. I mean, I've got a bit of a brain like that anyway, so it's just something I'm relatively comfortable with being quite scatty. But um, yeah, I, you just learn to just switch from one to the other and just like one hat off, one hat on. What do you say to to relatives when they ask you what your job title is? <laughs> well, they know. I mean, like all of my relatives know what I do I think they just think I'm a bit nuts when things are calm I can write in the day and perform in the evening so I don't have to I, I don't say I'm more of a writer or I'm more of a um more of an author or more of an actor rather so I can juggle them quite comfortably so I'm an actor author I suppose I'm n- neither one really dominates the other which is quite nice well I, I always enjoyed that I think it was Stephen Fry who, who who says you know human being is a verb mm. so so we're just being we're, we're just doing things yeah I kind of like that. Let's go back to your first book then. What was your very first book that you got published? First book was The Wrong Pong for Puffin Books. How many years ago was that now? Six years ago, I think. So talk me through what you can remember of the writing of that book. When was the first moment you had that idea? Um, I was playing, years and years ago, I I played Horrid Henry on stage. Um, And it was that that sparked my interest in children's books because I was actually writing a book I was writing an adult fantasy novel, which I've still got somewhere, and it's absolutely awful. <laughs> it was about a town that was a, a town of humans that was in the belly of a giant sea monster, but they had no idea they were in the belly of a giant sea monster. It's very Plato's cave. Yeah, kind of. I mean, but it was it's awful. I read it back now, and it's so earnest. And there's like twenty thousand adjectives per line. <laughs> like it's awful, but um. Uh, but so I knew I wanted to be a writer, and and and, and again I was doing that thing. I, in about I'd been working on it for about two years, and I think I've maybe got three chapters out because I was doing that thing where I couldn't finish a chapter until it was perfect or what I thought was perfect. Yeah, and so I, I was on stage playing Horrid Henry on tour, and so that I got to know children's books, and I also got to know Francesca Simon, who's a brilliant, you know, famous children's writer who writes them, and so that was really the start of my interest, and I was like, I'm going to try and do this. Um, and yeah, and then the wrong pong just kind of happened. I don't weirdly, I don't remember how long it took me to write because it was just kind of I had the idea and then kind of it was finished. But it probably took me the best part of about six months to write, I think. And how were you writing now? So you, you said that you think you were doing it at night. Is is, is that what was happening? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's it's kind of it's a long time ago. And I've written so many books that it all kind of blurs into one. But yeah, mostly because I was very very poor and working like day jobs then because I was a poor actor and so I was definitely kind of writing in little snatches so not necessarily just at night but in little bits yeah we finally got it finished and then I had a very lucky moment where my literary agent had decided that she was not taking on any more clients that was it until she retired and then um we we met and we got on and she said no I, I asked her and she said no and then about I don't know a couple of months later she just it was she's incredibly sweet and she was like you know what I've changed my mind I want to champion one last author so she took me on and that was it really um and it happened really quickly I was really lucky some people you know they finish their book and it takes a long time and um I think it took three months for Puffin to pick it up so I was really lucky my 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 manuscript landed on the desk of um, Elv Moody, who at the time was the editor in chief of Puffin, and so 
I had the editor in chief doing my books. And it was just, it was one of those really, the planets really did align. So as much as I think it would have been published, there is a lot of luck in that that, that <laughs> okay. happened then. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So what do you think you've learned then 15 books later uh, about how you work best, about what works well when you're writing, about how you do things? Um, I think you need to treat it like work. And that sounds really boring. And it's, it's what a lot of people don't want to hear. And I think one of the greatest enemies of one of the greatest enemies of finishing a book and becoming an author is um, being overly romantic about the the act of being a writer. You find a lot of people don't really want to write. They just want to be a writer. And so I've met quite a few people that that can't write unless they, they pay for a flight to go and work in some, you know, Romanian medieval library, vaulted library somewhere, writing with a feather quill. And it's like, no, you've just got to, you know, you've got to take the romance out of it and you've got to treat it like work and you've got to sit down and you've got to do it, which is a really boring answer. And I say that to people and I think a lot of people want to be told that there is like a, like a secret talisman or this secret, uh, you know, this um, incantation or something, but it's not. It is sit down and sometimes it's boring and sometimes it's stressful but you just got to do it. It's like any other job. We'll have more from Stephen Butler a bit later, where we'll talk about how he moves his ideas onto the page, how he makes things funny for a discerning kid's audience, and how an old headmaster gave him the inspiration to become an author. We've also got a distinguished diary from history in just a sec with one of the most famous authors of the 20th century, First, uh, I want to say thank you. Thank you to you for listening. Cheers. Uh, You've taken a gamble on something new. You've clicked download. You've found the time to listen. I really appreciate it. It would be amazing to know that you're there as well, liking it. Fingers crossed that you are. Uh, So if you can, drop me a review on iTunes. It's dead easy. Just leave me a star rating. uh, Write a few words about what you think about it. Then it will help the show grow uh, and we can get more writers and other creative people involved. And also, if you want to shout me anything, uh, maybe tell me someone that I should chat to, give me a question for an author, the email address is writersroutine at gmail.com. There's no apostrophe in writers, by the way. It doesn't work with emails. I know. It's a faff. Anyway, it's writersroutine at gmail.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Time for Distinguished Diaries, then, where we look at a weird and wonderful writer's routine from history. Today, it's F. Scott Fitzgerald. The research for this, by the way, uh, was taken from Mason Curry's book Daily Rituals, which, if you're into this kind of stuff, I absolutely implore you to buy. It's brilliant. Now, Fitzgerald, right, is probably most known for The Great Gatsby. He also wrote three other novels, published quite a few short stories as well. He's also known for his marriage to Zelda Fitzgerald, and together they spent most of their time writing, dancing, and doing loads of drinking. What's interesting, though, is that although we do remember him for his gregarious social activities, he always showed remarkable self-discipline, which was drilled into him while he enlisted in the army. Because while he was there, at just 21 years old, he wrote a 120,000-word novel in just three months. Now, out of the army, his work at um, keeping to strict deadlines and schedule was a little less diligent because while living in Paris with his wife in the 1920s, apparently he woke at 11 in the morning, around about then. Then he tried to start writing at 5pm and he worked on and off until 3.30 the next morning. Apparently, though, he didn't actually do work for a lot of this time. Uh, Instead of writing, he would go out and get drunk and go dancing with his wife Zelda again. Perhaps, though, the reason that he wrote so many short stories, and I mean, even The Great Gatsby isn't that long, it's because his most productive writing would happen in spontaneous bursts of fierce creativity and frenzied output, where he could write up to 8,000 words in a single session. Uh, Fitzgerald would try and crack out a story in three days, right? He would blast out the words, then he would add a fourth day on the end to revise the story before sending it out for publication. Now, he didn't really get on with longer novels because he truly believed that slamming straight gin helped him be most creative and productive. Yeah, this only worked to a point, though, when even then he realised it wasn't helping. So he tried, tried to keep a part of the day working sober. And I mean, you can guess it rarely ended up that way. And finally, he admitted that it has become increasingly plain to me that the excellent organisation of a book or the finest perceptions and judgments in time of revision do not go well with liquor. Still, this was the guy who wrote perhaps one of the greatest books of the 20th century. We can forgive F. Scott Fitzgerald for being a little bit absolutely hammered when he picked up a pen. Back to our guest on the writer's routine now. Uh, We're talking to kids author Stephen Butler about the way he organises a creative work day. Now we'll get to what gave him the inspiration to start writing in just a sec. Quick warning though, I may get a bit sycophantic and fawning. I'm sorry for that right now, I just, honestly, I really love the man. Mainly because I'm fascinated at how he doesn't just write his own ideas, he's commissioned by others to write theirs, like he did with the Dennis the Menace stories that he's done. And I'm interested if he plans things differently uh, for separate types of work. So I asked him about it. I suppose the two different, the the two parts of that are, are writing on spec where you sit in your room and you write a book solely for yourself and you go, I'm going to write this to the best of my ability and then you try and sell it once it's finished. 
or um, once you've developed a relationship with a publisher and they know your work. So things like Dennis, when I did the Dennis the Menace books, um, they just came to me and commissioned it. I, you know, I, the, I, I had no idea. It was very funny. I'd convinced myself. They, my editor came to me and said, we've got a really exciting project for you, but I can't tell you what it is yet. I'm going to tell you in two weeks' time. And at that time, um, Puffin were commissioning all these sequels to classics. And it was around the time it was going to be published. They told me when the book would be ready was like the, I can't remember the something anniversary. I can't remember what it was um, of the BFG. And I convinced myself, I mean, it's so unrealistic, but I convinced myself they were going to ask me to write a sequel to the BFG. And then my, 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 uh, my editor called and was like, right, are you ready? And I was like, yes. And she was like, Dennis the Menace. And I was like, I mean, I love Dennis the Menace, but I was like, oh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so that's so the the two ways of commissioning really are are either that you've developed a relationship with a publisher or you are known enough by other publishers that they know your work, which happens through just developing a career, um, or working on spec and writing your own stuff. And I mean, I my biggest advice would always you have to have an agent. Um, a lot of publishers won't just won't look at unsolicited man, unsolicited manuscripts. So. Um, I was looking through one of your Dennis books uh, earlier today, and they're unlike any book I read when I was a child. In that, and this isn't meant in a bad way at no, all, yeah, yeah. but it's 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 very stylistic. It's it's huge, like it's big. It's big words across pages. Yeah. You've got illustrations in there as well. But the language, because I I guess you've got to be fairly economical yeah. with how many <laughs> words you're writing. Yeah. How much thought goes into making sure this word? is the best word that can be used at that point? Um, enough. It's definitely on my mind, but you also remember that there is, you'll always do probably one or at least two or three edits. So um, that's normally something that comes after the structure of the book is there. But um, Do you write with the, the structure of, of the physical book in mind as in do you know that it's going to be a bit funny with the font that you're going to have illustrations all over it that's normally no um, dennis was a brilliant exception i i really loved doing it um dennis was the only book i've ever done and not because anyone else is wrong or bad but as in it just doesn't happen um where i would actually write on the manuscript so i would write his words and then on the manuscript i'd go right here in this picture you're going to do this and i had total control over what the page was going to look like i mean obviously then it goes to the illustrator and he has his artistic control of drawing it but um normally you would never do that you just write the manuscript and then the publisher later way down the edit decides what pictures you're going to have where they're going to go that that's something that happens way down the line but dennis in the original first draft that i hand in i've got all of the pictures listed how it's going to be on the page what's going to go here this gag because I, I the one thing i liked with dennis is that i was able to get some visual gags that weren't in the words so um and you just can't do that without me having the control of saying okay this is how this is going to work how thoroughly do you then have to plan a book like that knowing exactly what plot point is coming where oh see again it comes down to the writer um, you know, people like, you know, like J.K. Rowling, for instance, is famous that she she's plotted like what color the wallpaper is. She knows everything. Um, but I, I, I actually hate planning because it, the, the, what I've learned is that when I plan, I know what I'm, I know how I want to finish the book. But if I sit down and write a big arc and plan it all, I don't follow it anyway. So um, I'm very much a kind of I write the first line and I see where it takes me. 
Well, um, like a good example of that is that I've just finished my latest book, um, which I'm really excited about, and I think it's the best thing I've ever written. I bet it's hard to say when it's your own work, but I think it is. But um, that was commissioned. They wanted twelve to 15,000 words, and it's, it's now been edited, and it's 25,000 <laughs> words. So I went over by 10,000 words. Um, but just because I got to my, my limit, and I was like, I'm not finished. There needs to be more. It needs to be more. And my publisher was brilliant. And they were like, absolutely, totally fine. Um, so I kept going. You have to take all this advice with a pinch of salt because it's kind of it comes down to you and your style and the way you work. But for me, I find plotting too much quite restrictive. Um, and restricting so i i tend to just sit down and say let's see where we go with this and you know and and then surprising things happen how often does it surprise you oh loads um i'm a big believer in literary carrion um i pick things apart and so things for instance like that terrible fantasy novel that i was writing um in the third wrong pong book they get swallowed by a sea monster and it's the same name it was called a gundiscump and it's basically, I, I stole all of it. I picked the ribs of that apart. And so it was like, what can I take? What can I take? What can I take? And that became something else. And um, so did you think, about, I'm so glad that you've, you've mentioned that because uh, as, as soon as you, you, you yeah. spoke about your failed adult novel, it's like, well, when's this appearing? So I'm, oh, I'm no, so- no. Always. Yeah. I mean, throw them on a pile and pick them apart. Like, just be a vulture, you know, go in there and see what you can p- pick out of other things. And for instance, in this newest book that I've just finished, um, quite a, there's a there's a there's a bit of a beeline plot which was actually another book that I wrote um, and then discovered after I was very proud and finished this uh, I did a four chapter treatment and took it to Puffin and was like look I've written this new book and my editor's face dropped and she was like we're about to publish almost the exact same book <laughs> and somebody else had written it and got there before me like almost it was awful like to the almost to the exact plot points but there were certain characters and things like that and so they went on the carrion pile and I've picked them back out and they've appeared in other places and I, I guess writing as an adult are you conscious of where the book may be read uh, for instance if it's a bedtime story do you ever think about putting a, a little nod and a wink to the parents as well while they're reading I, um, yeah, I, well, I don't really think about that. I do that anyway. I, I, that I, I have quite a violent sense of humour and, um, and I always put in, I always push it. My editors are always like, you can't say that, um, and things. So, um, I, I always try to put in a little bit of kind of adult humour that the parents will pick up on. Um, but it's, I don't really think so much about when it will be read, really. It's more just that it will be read. And, um, I, yeah, for me, it's just as long as I can tell a good story. I suppose, uh, in a way, a good story will be will be read in all circumstances, whether you're in the car or a bedtime or on holiday. Or so I think for me, it's I don't really think about when or where. It's just about as long as as long as I I feel that it's good. I suppose. I guess that leads into into my next question. You're a big part of of World Book Day and the celebrations yeah. there. How much responsibility? do you feel now as a children's author is it not just that you're writing books for kids but you're 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 trying to get kids reading you're trying to keep the reading so your books need to be really exciting so they don't put it down i I, i'm really passionate about literacy and mostly because i was illiterate i was the worst 
first when I was a child. Not only was it that I was terrible at reading, I hated it. I, I mean, I really hated books, which is a, a I, that's that's normally my opening gambit. Whenever I do a book event, you see all the parents gasp when an author gets up on stage and talks about how much he hates books. So I, I found that I quite enjoyed the the anarchic side of that because if you read the Dennis books, the whole way through it, all he does is talk about how terrible books are, and I love the kind of there's something about seeing a kid desperately reading to the end of a page and turning the page to read more about how rubbish books are when they're reading books it's kind of it feels quite um I don't know there's something really naughty in it which I love but um when I started primary school we had a headmaster and then he was quite old and retired I think and left and uh, this new guy came and it was Jeremy Strong the children's author yes so Jeremy Strong is just uh his books in my my brother's bottom famous bottom my brother's famous bottom that's the one yeah and it was like having Willy Wonka as a headmaster. And, we, you know, he just arrived one day. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, yeah, that's the new headmaster. And we just, I mean, the whole school just fell madly in love with him. He was just brilliant. Um, and so that was definitely the start of my reading life. Because before he came along, I, I mean, I just hated books. I hated books. I thought they were awful things. And, um, and it was Jeremy that taught everyone that books were funny. And because, you know, I mean, things have changed a lot. But when I was a kid and we had these awful reading schemes called they were like they were, it was about these kids and they were so unoriginal. There was Billy Blue Hat, Roger Red Hat, Jennifer Yellow Hat and somebody else. You see, I had um, Biff, Chip and Kipper. Oh, yeah. See, they the came... Magic Key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came later. I'm older than you. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I would love to, if I ever found out who wrote them, I would love to go and commit violent acts upon them. They were just awful. And so as my little child brain, I, I just thought books were terrible. And, um, and so learning that they were funny and rude and Jeremy's that I definitely, I mean, I don't, I can't say because it's in my head brain now, but I'm sure I'm sure he had a big effect on me because, you know, he wrote these brilliant, really rude, naughty books. Um, And yeah, somewhere subconsciously that affected me as a writer. How much thought goes into the actual jokes? Like, uh, I know that you said that you you never use your pen. Do do, do you ever find yourself having ideas walking down the road that you need to jot down? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my uh, For things like that, I tend to... um, yeah if I've got an idea on the tube or on the bus or something I just type it into my phone and if anyone ever if I lost my phone and they found my phone they they would think it was belong to a madman I I I definitely tend to be a bit of a magpie I see things all the time and just go I like that I'm gonna write that down and remember this and you know um uh the new book I've got it's 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 gonna be a it's gonna be a big one and in terms of the characters um it's a bit like the Ben Hur, like children's equivalent of Ben Hur, it's pretty. It's it's got a lot of characters. So um, naming them, I'm really passionate about good names, and I love that. And I, I different writers have different things, but I can't really tell you about my character until I know what their name is. That's when their kind of personality arrives. And so I see things all the time on road signs or strange words or things in delis you know some odd piece of meat or something. And I just write them down all the time. I'm constantly stealing. I'm an absolute magpie. Well, there you go. That was my chat with Stephen Butler. Hope you enjoyed it. If you've got kids, I can't recommend his Wrong Pong and Dennis the Menace books enough. You see, for various reasons, I've read a fair amount of kids' books, and his are absolutely streets ahead of the rest. 
So that's it then for another episode of the Writer's Routine. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're back next week with a crime author who turned an episode of online trolling that she received into a series of best-selling books. And she's big into the idea as well of a daily ritual. So make sure you give that a listen. And remember, you can send me a message with anything you fancy over to writersroutine at gmail.com, no apostrophe, and do leave us a review on iTunes if you can. That's it then. I'll see you next week. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.